0: Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be with you again. I was away for three weeks in in England doing ministry, doing conferences and preaching in churches. Got back earlier this week and it's lovely to be back with you here at, at LifeHouse. So Gary asked me to share this morning and what I want to share with you is a kind of a meditation that that, that I believe God wants to use to speak to us corporately as this local church as well as individually for, for people who are here this morning. And it came out of um, something that I shared over in the UK that kind of quickened this and made this alive to me in a fresh way. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask Jill to come up and we're going to read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then walking on water. And uh, we do it in what we call Lectio Divina, that is the spiritual reading of the Word of God. So if you don't have your Bibles, you can just close your eyes, listen to the story, and picture the story in your mind as it's read to you. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow with us, we're reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 13, through to the end of, um, to verse 33. Matthew... Chapter 14,
1: from verse 13 through to verse 33. <clears throat> Morning, everybody. So, you know, I do find Amen. as I read, um, and I read slowly, I will read slowly, it does help if you close your eyes. So, you just focus in on the Lord and, and, and the story and use your imaginations. When Jesus heard what had happened, He withdrew, boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from all the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and they said, This is such a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. "What? We have only 5 loaves of bread and 2 fish." They answered. "Bring them here to me," Jesus said. And then he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the 5 loaves And the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. Of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides the women and the children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But... Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Oh, truly, truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed at the Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country, and people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just, simply touched the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed.
0: Okay. <clears throat> Often when we hear the scripture just being read to us like this and we just live into it in our minds and, and listen carefully then we begin to hear God speak to us. And sometimes a particular thought a particular phrase is highlighted in our minds and our attention is, is drawn to it. <clears throat> and that's often God beginning to speak to you through the reading of his word. So God has already begun to speak to some of you by just grabbing your attention with a phrase or a word or a concept that's already come from here. But what I want to do is just share some thoughts and, and again, just listen to God. Let the Lord speak to you. When I've finished, we're going to have a time of waiting on the Lord, and we're going to practice what we preach. (laughs) Because God is here, and he wants us to walk on water. So the context of the story is important. It's almost divided up in half, these two stories. The first half is in the daytime. The second half is in the nighttime. And the first half is about all the healings and the miracles. The second half is about another miracle, but in the midst of trauma and difficulty. And we all have the daytime of the breakthrough of the kingdom of God in our lives where things go well. And we're working with Jesus, feeding thousands of people. (laughs) But then we also all have the dark time. Uh, in our lives when there is storms and difficulties and we are working hard rowing against the wind. But then in the midst of it, Jesus comes to us. So what I'm going to do is draw this contrast and um, go through the story and make some comments as we go along. So the context of the story is important where uh, Jesus had heard that John the baptizer had been beheaded and that uh, discouragement uh, and pain for Jesus caused them to withdraw to a quiet place with his, his apostles. But then it says, The crowds heard that Jesus had withdrawn to a quiet place, and they came there in the thousands to him. And when he saw them, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So just to say to you, often in life and the busyness of life, There are moments where we feel we need to withdraw to be quiet and to renew our strength and renew our energy. But in Gauteng, life is a way of still pushing in. (laughs) Even when you want to regroup and be alone with God and recover strength and perspective, life still pushes in. And in that moment, it says, Jesus looked at what was happening with the people just flocking after him he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. But then he involved his disciples in the ministry of the kingdom because it was getting late. So that happened throughout the whole day. He was healing and ministering. And then as, as the late afternoon came, there is the story of the miracle of the feeding of, um, of the 5,000 where the people still had need. Beyond their physical need for physical healing and other forms of healing, they were hungry, it was getting late, and they needed to eat. And so the story, as you heard, is that Jesus says, we need to feed the people, what do you have? And they said, we've got five loaves and two fish, give them to me. And then he says the blessing over them, he breaks the bread, gives it to his apostles, and he says, go feed the people. And there the miracle happened in their fingers, because Matthew is quite... Clear how he says he gave, he broke the bread after saying the, the blessing, the Hebrew blessing over it. He blessed God for the bread of the earth. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and they gave it then to the people and it was multiplied in their fingertips. What this story, and then of course they realized in retrospect afterwards that it was a dramatic miracle. Because when he said pick up all the baskets, I always say that Jesus was a green Christian, <laughs> he, because of his understanding of the kingdom, when the kingdom comes, the Bible says there will be a new earth, new heavens and a new earth. Uh, God is going to renovate and redeem this earth, just as he's going to re- resurrect our bodies, he's going to resurrect this earth into a new earth. And therefore, people who follow Jesus are concerned for earth care in anticipation of what is of its fullness when Jesus comes. And so he says, pick up all the pieces left over. So whenever you have a picnic, make sure you pick up all the pieces left over. The plastics that choke the fish to death. Uh, Keep it all clean. I'm just uh, ad-libbing here in Tis and Hakis about ecological ethics. But when they picked up all the baskets, all, all the leftovers, they had, there were 12 baskets full. And, you know, they were the harvesting baskets. So it was, it was baskets that were woven that went from the top of the head right down here with straps. And they would pick the, the, the grapes and just put it in the back of the basket or the wheat. They would cut the wheat and just put the wheat down, put the wheat down. So it was a really big, wide basket And they picked up 12 baskets full of bread and fish that were left over. And what it basically says, what Gary mentioned earlier, that when the kingdom comes and breaks out among us in power, there is more than enough for everyone. Because it symbolizes the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus came and preached and taught the kingdom and was offering Israel the kingdom of God. As a nation, but Israel, as a people, through its leaders, basically rejected Jesus' offer of the kingdom. The poor, the broken, the demonized, the marginalized responded to Jesus' message. The prostitutes and the drunkards, and they entered the kingdom of God before the so called righteous people who thought that they were just fine, the Pharisees and the leaders. And what Jesus is saying is, in the coming of the kingdom, God's salvation is not only going to change you and feed you and meet all your needs, but it's more than enough for everyone, for all the nations of the earth. That's the basic message, and it all happens in the daylight. So just to say to you, Matthew and the way he writes the story of Jesus often uses symbolism that's implied in the story. And we all know the daytime of God's provision and breakthrough in our lives where we learn to work with God and do the stuff of His kingdom. And that is fantastic. To participate with God in what He's doing, bringing His kingdom, not only in our own lives, but in people around us. And then what happens is there's a shift in the story. And in our lives, we need to learn to work with God in the daytime of His kingdom come. But also, we need to respond to God in the nighttime when things get difficult and it no longer seems all straight and clear. <laughs> because the shift happens where Jesus then, after feeding the 5,000 and they gather all the 12 baskets full, it says that he, he made the disciples to get into the boat to go across to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee and then, he di- and then he dismissed the crowd. So just to say to you, the Sea of Galilee, if you've been to Israel and there's Glenn who's lived there, and other people I'm sure have been there. From the top to the bottom is 21 kilometers long, and it's 13 kilometers wide. And it's, it seems to apply that he, he, he got them to go from this side over to the other side to, to Tiberias, so across the 13-kilometer mark. And I'm, the reason why I'm giving you the, um, uh, the kilometers is because John, in John's story of of Jesus walking on the water, he 's very specific. He actually gives the kilometers. Um, so what happens is he tells them, "Get in the boat, go across the other side, and I will meet you there." So that is nighttime now, probably seven, eight o'clock at night, depending if it was in summer or in winter time, while Jesus th- dismissed the crowd, and then he goes up the mountain by himself to pray, and he, when the evening came, he was alone. With thee alone. He was alone with the Father. In solitude, up the mountain, praying. But what is interesting, uh, Matthew uses this, this word, but. When evening came, Jesus was alone up the mountain praying. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. The book of Mark says the boat was in the middle of um, the Sea of Galilee. John's gospel says it was four kilometers, three and a half, no, three and a half miles. That's about eight kilometers or or seven kilometers exactly in the middle of the lake. What this says is this. (laughs) It's fascinating. Jesus said, we've had a great time together. (laughs) Now you go off. Onto the, the uncertainty of the ocean. In the security of what you know works, which is your boat. <laughs> and as they go off on their own, Jesus goes up to a mountain and starts praying for them and he's watching them. And there they are rowing against the wind. Now these are seasoned fishermen. They had a fishing business for many years before Rabbi Jesus came to meet them and he called them to follow them. And so just to say to you, the whole story and the mood shifts to this idea that that you may feel that you've been rowing against the tide with the difficulties of life for a long time. They set out 8 or 9 o'clock at night, maybe as early as 7 o'clock at night, and it says here quite specifically that during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them. So the Romans, the, the, the Roman um, time was the, the first watch of the night was from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night. The second watch was from 9 to 12 o'clock at night. The third was from 12 to, to 3 o'clock in the morning. The fourth watch was from 3 to 6 o'clock. Sometime during the fourth watch, maybe 5 o'clock in the morning, maybe half four in the morning, it says that Jesus came to them walking on the water. Again, John's gospel and, and Mark's gospel is more specific. It says Jesus saw them struggling against the wind. So to put it in modern-day revised Alexander paraphrase, the RAP version, R-A-P, revised Alexander paraphrase, Jesus was up the mountain... Praying the whole night from 7, 8 o'clock right through to 5 o'clock in the morning. And while he was praying, he was watching them. The implication is he was praying for them the whole time. And they didn't even know it. They didn't even realize it. And you know, this is also symbolically this wonderful picture between the earthly life of Jesus and his three and a half year ministry... Of signs and wonders and miracles. Then his death and burial and his his resurrection and ascension into heaven. To sit down at the right hand of the Father. And to intercede for us. After his resurrection and his ascension. He he sends the, the church out. He says, go into the sea and the troubles and the pain of all this world. And make disciples of me. And while he ascends into the mountain and sits down at the right hand of the father and he watches us and he's praying for us in us in our life and journey and ministry working against the wind and just to say to you in the jewish mindset the jewish understanding the unruly ocean the unruly sea was where the leviathan dwelt the sea monster which is a symbol there were a few symbols of Hasatan, the devil who opposes God and God's people and God's purposes at every turn. So the picture of the storm, the wind, the waves is a picture of, this, of the work of evil in this present age, the not yet of the kingdom. And when Jesus comes walking on the water, so at some point in the night, as, we, as they get quite specific, four o'clock in the morning, Five o'clock in the morning. I'm sure Jesus was saying, Father, what are we going to do now? And I'm sure the father said, well, son, maybe you should go down and help them. Maybe it's now time for kingdom breakthrough. They've been struggling for a long time in a long obedience in the same direction. Not getting too far in their own energy and power. (laughs) And by that time, probably Jesus had seen Peter use... Strange languages. (laughs) You know, you're going to imagine your way into the story and think about them as if you were there yourself. And imagine rowing a boat for eight hours from eight o'clock at night to four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, against the wind and only getting halfway, about seven, eight kilometers, halfway across the lake. You, by that time, must be saying, I mean, you you would be very tired. You would be very angry. You would be frustrated. You would be probably saying, if Jesus were really the Son of God after multiplying all the bread, he would have known when he said to us, get in the boat and go across the lake. If he were a prophet, he wouldn't have sent us across. He would have known there would have been a wind. You know all the doubts and the questions that start coming? The anger builds the frustration builds, the pain builds, the exhaustion builds. And this is just a symbol of what uh, John, St. John of the Cross, among the Christian mystics, calls the long, dark night of the soul or the dark night of the senses. Every one of us in life, have, we have times where, as it says in the book of Ezekiel, every Ezekiel 34... Every sheep has its dark and cloudy day. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this movie before? <laughs> so just this week, <clears throat> one hears of news of one's parents that causes tremendous uh, anxiety and even trauma and is a big challenge. And the, and the question is, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond? Jesus knew when he sent them across the lake in the boat that this would happen. Jesus intentionally allowed it to happen. Otherwise, he would have stopped it. He would have prevented it. We have to conclude he was fully aware and he knew and he allowed it, but he was praying for them. And let me tell you, there's nothing that can happen to you in the dark night of your soul, in terms of circumstantial opposition and troubles that cause real trauma and exhaustion, whereby Jesus is not watching and Jesus is not praying. Jesus knows it all. There is nothing hidden from his eyes or his knowledge. And he is not absent. He may may seem far away. It may seem that the heavens are brass when you say, oh God, oh God, oh God, help me. And nothing comes through and nothing happens. And God doesn't answer. He doesn't give you a word. But He is there watching and praying at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Twice the Bible says that in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says that Christ ascended to heaven, sat down on the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Just think of that. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is talking to our Father, his Father, and your Father, and my Father, for you. Asking the Father to send his Holy Spirit to help you and intervene in your time of darkness. You know, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I am going to, one of you will betray me, and I'm going to be um, crucified and buried, but I will rise again. And Peter says, no ways, no one's going to betray you. No one's going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. And then Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan has asked permission to test you. And all that happened in the context of darkness, the evening of Jesus' betrayal. It was symbolic of his dark night. And you know what Jesus' answer was? But, Simon Peter, I have prayed for you. I am praying for you that your faith does not fail. You know, for me to think Jesus is praying for me is actually profoundly comforting and emotional and strengthening. Right now, Jesus is talking with the Father on my behalf. So the Christian mystics talk of this, of two dark nights, the dark night of the senses, which basically means when all your experience of God in terms of your senses, so we experience God as we read the Bible and we can imagine pictures God gives us pictures. Um, Anthony was talking about vision and pictures and seeing pictures we God. Through our rational mind, we have God's thoughts. We make sense of God. We feel God's emotions. We sense God's presence on our bodies We're in worship. We have all these, these experiences of God that are consolations, are, are encouragements, where God manifests himself and reveals himself to us. The mystics talk of the dark night of the senses, where all your senses close down. Because of darkness, and you can no longer experience God in the way that you experience Him, God, normally. So you read the Bible, and it becomes like sawdust. And as you eat it, <laughs> you pray, and your prayers hit the ceiling and bounce off. And it's like the heavens become brass. You try to feel God. I mean, John and I, our, our son, Zander, has, has in his following Jesus, he says, one of the things I struggle with is I don't feel God. I don't feel God's presence. And we pray for a breakthrough in that area of his life that he may feel. You know, when you don't feel God, you don't sense God, you don't hear God, all your senses are darkened and cut off. What do you do then? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Have you had that experience or not? It's a few of you. And you know that, let me tell you, God allows it. (laughs) God organizes it. (laughs) As a test to see what's going to happen. How you're going to respond. It's easy to believe God in the daylight when everything is working well and there are miracles. It's not easy to believe and trust God in the dark night when you don't sense Him, see Him, or He seems far away and everything is going wrong. And so what happens is, at some point, the father and the son say, I think it's time, you better go help them. It's been eight hours, and by now they're speaking in strange tongues. They must be swearing, they must be really uptight, they must be angry and frustrated. Uh, Again, I cannot emphasize the humanity part of this. If you put yourself in their shoes, and you sit in that boat, Have you ever been in a boat and rowed against the wind for eight hours? None of us have done that. You can just imagine. So then it says that Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Now this is even a further provocation. Because um, when Jesus comes walking on the water, it says they saw him through the mist, the waves, the wind. You know when the wind blows up the waves and the waves give off. The, um, the water and the, and the waves are bashing into the boat. There's haze and mist. It's dark. The, the, the moon is blotted out by the clouds. It's all the scene of the darkness of, of, uh, of life's difficulty and struggle. Where is God? Where is God? God comes to you in the form of your greatest fear. God comes to you in your opposition. God wants you to face what is going on and in facing it, find God in it because he's present. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And Ignatius, the Catholic uh, leader, founder of of the Jesuit order, he's well known for saying this in what is called Jesuit spirituality. He says, That means, blessed are the pure in heart, they will not only see God in terms of the sweet by and by, in other words, heaven, where you'll be with the Lord in heaven, but you will see God in all things, here and now. No matter what's happening to you, what's going on with you, if your heart is truly pure before God, you have God's eyes where you see where God is present and what God is doing in every situation. And as you see what God is doing in the worst of the worst, of course, that's when faith grows. That's when your doubts and your fears are overcome. So Jesus comes to them in the midst of the storm, walking on the water, and he appears like a ghost, a spirit. They were even then more terrified. So they were not only in the middle of the sea, where it's deepest and darkest, (laughs) They were not only after eight hours of exhaustion, but now they see a spook. (laughs) A spook coming, walking to them on the water. So I tell the story um, as a young Assemblies of God pastor, pastoring Constantia Assemblies of God in Cape Town. My colleague Eddie Romans in the Assemblies of God was the colored pastor on the other side of the rower line in retreat. And he invited this young, new Assemblies of God pastor to come down from the mountain of opulence and riches and power across the rower line to this rickety little church in this colored community called the Retreat Assemblies of God. And it was so funny. I went there to preach and it was this narrow little building with these wooden benches and 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 I did a Bible study and right at the end I asked for questions and there was this elderly man right at the back. He stood up, I heard rattle, rattle and he stood up and he... And this guy had like one eye. He, he only had one eye open, and he said, "Yeah, bruh, but what about spooks?" <laughs> and he one eye, and, and I tried to explain about spirits. The next Wednesday was I, 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 I had three Wednesdays Bible study. When I finished the Bible study, I said, "You yeah, any questions?" I hear rattle, 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 and he stands up. He says, "Yeah, oh bruh, but what about spooks?" Third Wednesday, what about spooks? And no matter what I, I explained, he never understood. I always remember, what about ghosts? You know that this is a specific reference because the Jewish mindset of that day, and if you read the commentaries, it's quite clear. The sailors on the Sea of Galilee were used to storms being suddenly whipped up because of the mountains all around the sea, where the hot air would rise, the cold air would come in, and you could have a sudden storm. And if in the storm you saw a ghost, a spirit, it was the spirit of a dead, a drowned sailor that was coming for you, that was coming to get you. In other words, it was the suspicion and the fear of death. So there were two fears here. The Jewish mindset of the storm, which was the power of evil, the the Leviathan, and there was this fear of seeing a ghost, that now you're going to drown, now you're going to die. But Jesus walks on the water, the feet, his feet are over evil. He walks on all the powers of darkness and brings calmness. In Christ, God rules over all evil, no matter how great a turmoil it is, or the waves that the That it whips up against you. Whatever it does to you, it's under the feet of Jesus. Because when they saw this ghost, he said, don't worry. Don't or take courage. It is I. The word it is I here in the Greek is the word ego, I, me, which is literally, it should be translated I am. Have you heard of the word I am? So in Exodus chapter 3. When God revealed himself through the burning bush to Moses and Moses said, what's your name? He said, I am who I am. And you're all aware that the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into the Greek language by 70 Jewish scholars in Alexandria in about 150 BC. And that Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament is called the Seventy, the Septuagint. And when it says, I am who I am, in the Greek translation, the words are, um, ego, I, me, I am. And Jesus is literally saying those words, I am. He is God walking on all the powers of darkness and evil, and yet appearing as a spirit, as a ghost, to see what our reaction is. And their reaction was... Not only fear, but panic. You know, the lesson is simple. Jesus can come to you in the form of your worst fear. (laughs) You know, the book of Job says, That which I have feared has has come upon me. That which I have feared has come upon me. Just know this. Your, Your mortal enemy, my worst enemy is fear. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Doubt has, its, has its, its, its role, as it were, in working against us, but fear is the principal enemy of the human heart. If we truly trust God, if we truly believe in God and trust Him and entrust ourselves to Him, we will not fear. In fact, we will fear n- nothing because of faith and true trust in God. What Jesus was doing is He was provoking them to see their response. And in fact, in the Gospel of, of, of Mark, you, you know what it says? When Jesus walked on the water, He made as if He was going to walk past Him. <laughs> so you can imagine this. Jesus is walking up and down the waves and the wind is blowing. And he says, hi guys. Cheers, cheers, cheers guys. He's having a nice Sunday afternoon stroll. Why does it say in the Gospel of Mark? He made as if he was walking past him. It's all this strange, interesting human context of God provoking to see if they would believe or fear. What is your response? In your dark night, when you are not making much headway and all your senses are no longer experiencing God, do you still then believe or do you react according to your five senses and panic? This is the question. This is the challenge. And so, of course, Jesus helps them and says, take courage, it's me, because he saw them panicking. He saw them fearing. It's me, basically, I am. Don't be afraid. And just be aware, the word fear, afraid, happens three times in this text. And the word trust, take courage, believe, happens twice in this text. So when he says don't be afraid, he reveals himself by saying it is me. They are are reassured. So just this other point, before I get to Peter and walking on water. We don't see Jesus clearly for who he really is. We see Jesus through the mist of our own brokenness and our own darkness. And sometimes we squint our eyes and we want to see Jesus more accurately for who he is. The extent to which we know Jesus and see Jesus for who he really is in our lives, to that extent, it evokes faith in our hearts and we live in the realm of the miraculous. We live in the realm of the kingdom. To the extent we don't see Jesus clearly for who he is, to that extent we are dominated by our five senses and our lower nature in terms of fear and doubt and all the other stuff that dominates human beings. Are you with me? This is the battle of these two dimensions. And so Peter says his responses, and of course, typical Peter, he always speaks before he thinks. So for those of you who are kind of extrovert, outward people, go-getters, impulsive, there's a very good side to you. We won't talk about the, bad, the weak side, but that we'll just talk about the good side. Typical Peter, he says, "Lord, if it's really you, call me to come to you." And then he probably thought, yeah, what did you just say? Um, I mean, again, you've got to say, you've got to look at the circumstance, the waves, the wind, all that's happening. They're tired and exhausted, and here's this drama playing itself out. And then, I'm, and then Jesus, I'm sure, said, watch, Father, what happens now. Okay, Peter, come. And it says that Peter then got down out of the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. So he had to climb out the boat. He had to climb out and get down off the boat onto the water. I mean, imagine that. You're climbing out the boat and however you got down and then you stand on water. Check if it's hard. You, um, he got out, got down, got on the water and started to walk toward Jesus looking at Jesus. Looking at Jesus. So... The simple message is this, people. God comes to us in our dark night. God comes to us often in the form of our worst fear. God allows things to be dark and traumatic, to test your faith. And in the midst, He will come to you at His appointed time when He knows you are near breaking point. For some of us, He comes quickly. For others of us, he comes slowly. For some of us, he only comes in the 11th hour. You know that the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, Paul says, there is no test or temptation. The, word, the Greek word pyrasmos, temptation, is also testing or temptation. There is no testing or temptation that has come upon you that's not common to all other human beings. And with it, God provides a way of escape because he knows your capacity and will not allow you to be tested beyond your level of faith. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you're going to be tested, but I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. So don't, don't, um, don't give in. The devil would love for you just to give in. The devil will beat up on you, The devil will make things go wrong in your life. And God has a way of allowing it. But God is watching. God is praying. He's with you in it. And He'll come through for you at His appointed time. Keep praying. Keep trusting. God is our way maker. He is our miracle worker. He is the promise keeper. He is our light, not our spook. Our light in the darkness. (laughs) We think he's a spook, but he's not. He's a light in the darkness to come and repel the night and bring the light of day. But we have got to respond. And Peter is the model of the response of faith. Lord, if it's you coming to me, then I'm coming to you. Call me. And just to say to you, be careful not to be presumptuous. If Peter jumped out and walked on water without the word of the Lord saying, Peter, come, I'm not sure he would have walked on water. On the other hand, you know, presumption is going beyond faith where you engineer something into being by your own um, presumptuous faith. That's different to biblical faith. Biblical faith is based on the word of God. In In the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, the rhema of Christ. So when Jesus said, Peter, come, that was the word of Christ that came to Peter. That imparted the faith that he needed to walk on water. Presumption is trying to walk on water when you've not had the call of God, the word of God to walk on water. The opposite of presumption is is unbelief or disobedience. Where you say, Lord, if it's you, call me to come to you. And the Lord says, come. And then you check everything out and you do your sums and you work out your computer evaluations and you ask your friends to tie a rope around your waist and to hold it just in case and cross your fingers behind your back. You know, that, that's the humanism of doubt and calculation, etc., etc., so just say to you, when you say, "Lord, what are you doing?", "Lord, where are you?", "Lord, what's happening in this crisis in the business?", "What's happening in in this family situation?", "What's happening, Lord?", "Where are you in regard to our daughter?", "God, show us.", "God, come through for us.", "God, break through.", "We need your kingdom come.", "We've been in this dark night long enough.", "Come, Lord." Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on this piece of earth now as it is in heaven. When we pray that and we ask the Lord for that, trust what God shows you. And if he speaks to you, act on it in faith. And you will move from this dimension into the, into the, the dimension of the kingdom. In fact, you release the miraculous. Faith is the key to the kingdom. Faith is the key to the kingdom. Faith is the key. To walking on water on the basis of God's word, of God's promise to you. And then it says, of course, as he walked on water, <laughs> typical, like all of us, he looked around and he, said, and he probably thought, this is the revised, the rap, revised Alexander paraphrase. He probably thought, Peter, this is, this is amazing. You, you, you're walking on Leviathan. All all the powers of darkness and of the enemy are beneath your feet like Jesus. You're ruling and reigning with Christ. But you know what, Peter? As you look around, you don't normally do this type of thing. What on earth are you doing? Or what on the sea are you doing? Um, Walking up and down waves towards Jesus. And he lapsed out of the realm of faith into reacting through his five senses. What he saw, what he heard, what he smelt, what he What he touched, there's another one I'm missing. And what he tasted. He tasted the salt water, although the Sea of Galilee is not salt water. So that that demolishes our sermon at this point. But he lapsed back out of faith and reacted to his five senses. Dear friends, living in this place called Johannesburg, the economic capitalist city, of South Africa, and also, in a sense, of Africa. It's go, go, go. It's pressure, pressure, pressure. It's perform, perform, perform. It's make money, make money, make money. It's pay the bills, pay the bills, pay the bills. It's push and pull and drive. We are rowing against the wind. And many are exhausted, really exhausted. We've got to learn to live in the realm of faith, real trust of God beyond our five senses. The sixth sense of faith. And learn to take risk and walk on water. In the midst of the darkest challenge that we face. God calls us to walk on water. And that's what I call pushing the now of the kingdom. Pushing into the already of the kingdom. Don't take no as an answer, seek God's yes by prayer and trusting and asking. Jesus said, Ask and keep on asking, and it will be given. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will open. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. It calls for chutzpah, the Hebrew word chutzpah, this cheeky, belligerent persistence. It says, God, I need you and I need you now. Break through for me. And holding God to his promises, holding God to his word because he is our promise keeper. God is true to his word. He is true to his nature. He is the I am who I am. And in the Hebrew understanding, this name I am is, is I am the God who is here for you. Whatever you need. I always was, I am and I always will be. I am available. I am close. Whatever you need me to be, I am here for you. God is a God of integrity who comes through. Even if it's in the 11th hour, he comes through for you. So just to end off on the story and to say that Peter's lapsing out of the realm of faith into reacting again through his five senses produces fear. And he goes under the water. By taking his eyes off Jesus. And the whole lesson is please. We must keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of the storm. And the more we keep focused on Jesus and his word and his promises. The clearer we see Jesus for who Jesus really is. The more we walk on water. The more confused we come about Jesus. Through all the, the haze and the fuzziness of the storm around us. We lapse back into fear and unbelief, and we sink. That's the challenge here. But even then, the story goes, when you go under, you just cry out while you're going under. You're swallowing, save me. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you've swallowed water and you're going under in the ocean. Uh, uh, um, it's, it's difficult. But you, you cry out, Jesus, save me. I tell you something, Jesus is right beside you, and even if you're going under, you cry out to Him. The story assures us, He will reach out His hand, and He will save you. That is the extra, extra mile of extra assurances, God's guarantee. No matter what, even if you go under, He will save you. For many of us, we are so cautious and calculating we will never walk on water because we think we might go under. But Peter walked on water. The fact that he went under was a little part of the story. But Jesus was not a seeker-friendly pastor because you know what his, his response to Peter was? I wish Jesus was a good seeker-friendly pastor. He would have said, Oh, come up here. Come and stand with me. How are you feeling now? Let's do psychotherapy. (laughs) You know what Jesus' response to Peter was? Okay, Peter, come come up here. Where's your faith? Why did you doubt? Why were you afraid? I'm with you. I'm here. Believe. Just believe. Faith, trusting God against all all impossibilities, human impossibilities is the key to the kingdom. God is calling us to walk on water. On the basis of hearing what he says. And even if you go under, he's there with you and he will pull you up. And then it says they go back to the boat and according to Matthew, immediately they're on the other side of the lake. So they cover eight, seven kilometers in eight hours of rowing. Then they cover, they cover the remaining eight kilometers in one second. They have Philips transport. Have you heard of Philips transport? You you remember the dude in the book of Acts of Philip when he went down to the Ethiopian and he baptized them. And it says, and suddenly Philip was translated and appeared in Philippi Caesarea. And if you work out the geography, it's 104 kilometers away from where he was. They say about 100 kilometers away. (laughs) It's like, God just appears. You know, when God does it, it's powerful, it's instant. It's dramatical and everything changes. In God's power, we achieve what we cannot otherwise achieve in our own power. When he is with us in the boat in fullness. So there is this strange mystery of God is present and powerful and breaks through and manifests his presence. But yet there is this darkness and there's this testing and there's the struggle of the reality of life in which we find ourselves and we're going to find faith and not fear. Resist fear. Let's stand.